the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anais, the high priest, was there, and so were Caliphates, John, Alexander and others of the high priest family. Then Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In a recent interview, a Silicon Valley executive confessed that I don't want the world to be fixed if I'm not the one fixing it. It was an honest admission that many of us can identify with. We want to be in on the action, playing our part in history. We want our lives to really count. We want the story of our lives to be one that is worth telling. But what if the story of our lives is actually not about us at all? What if we are really part of a much, much bigger story? As we read about the earliest followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, we discover that they had a very distinctive view of their lives. They knew that what was happening was a tiny part of a massive picture. In fact, they knew that their lives only counted because of that much, much bigger picture. It was only as they discovered how small they were, they saw how big God really is. My name is Nathaniel, like Dad, and I'm one of the site leaders here at Riverside Church in Mosley and Kings Heath. Like I mentioned in the introduction video, very dramatically, we're going to be continuing our exploration through Acts while looking at the early church to see what set them apart. And what can we draw out from the Bible passage that helps us in our understanding of our roles, but also who God is? When I was at university, I, I used to devise and create material for performance as part of the course. And one thing that really stuck with me from my time at university was a phrase that my head of course used to ask. 
whilst we were devising and talking about stories and, and, and how to strategically play them out, um, in what order, what would kind of take priority, he would always say, what is this story about? And as a class, we'd say, for example, um, a really pale lady who lives with seven short guys and she has a near-death experience with an apple. And then he would say, but what is the story really about? And we'd think about it for a bit and uh, maybe say, jealousy, um, insecurity, or how love always wins in the end. But that question has really stuck with me. What is the story really about? What is your story really about? When we look at the Bible, it is a masterpiece of historical documentation, poetry, storytelling, with a line running through it that points to Jesus. I got this book from my father-in-law a few years ago. Um, it's pretty cool. And uh, inside it, it has really, really nicely laid out lines and, and images that paint a picture of the Bible kind of as a whole. As a whole. And it's got this page as well. Um, I've got it up on the screen, which kind of shows all of the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament and where they line up in the New Testament having been fulfilled. That's a lot, and it's really cool. The Bible is a whole story, bigger narrative. I love that. So in this passage that we heard Bidimi read from the Bible, we see Peter and John getting themselves into a bit of trouble by teaching about the death and resurrection of Jesus. They've just healed a man in the chapter before. Many people who heard the message of Jesus from them believed in it, and, and we're talking about a couple thousand people here. So now all of the elders and rulers and teachers of the law are feeling disturbed, and they take them in for questioning, asking, by what power or what name did you do this? Which is interesting because that's the same question they asked Jesus back in Matthew 21, verse 23. They knew the answer as well because they had heard them say it earlier in verse 2 while they were preaching. And, and so these guys, these two guys are out here preaching and teaching about Jesus when the rulers of the law are going, I thought we got rid of this guy, Jesus. How is this still happening? And in asking the question to them, they are trying to mock Peter and John but also see if they'll slip up and say something that will make them look criminal. They try to isolate the incident and take it out of the wider context that Peter and John are carrying it in. But no worries. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, here is a direct fulfillment of what Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 11. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And Peter begins to speak with the help of the Holy Spirit about justice and Jesus. He begins to relate the healing of this lame man to all that Jesus has, had done, threading it together as a much larger picture, similar to how he was preaching to the Israelites in the chapter before. And so thinking about context of stuff, it's also good for us to think about the language used, because in different cultures across the world, language has a really key influence. And the English language is noun-focused. The first words we're taught as children are, are the nouns like, what is this? Apple, mummy, tree, bird, 
things like that. Chinese parents teach their children with verbs, first of all. Sit, eat, run. These are all doing things. And this impacts the cultural differences. Here's another example for you guys. Westerners will tend to say more tea with an emphasis on the noun tea, whereas Easterners tend to say drink more with an emphasis on the verb drink. So Westerners use nouns to express themselves as individuals. So there's me and there's the tea. We are two separate things and we see the world with nouns. Easterners, however, use verbs as an expression of interactions. So the word drink connects me and the tea. That's where the connections are. So we see the world with verbs. Okay, so why am I telling you all this? A little grammar lesson. Um, many of us here speak English, right? And some of us only English. And so English is very influential in how we see the world. Some of the individualism we carry is learned behavior and much, much deeper than, than we realize. So we need to be aware of when we single things out and take them out of context. The high priest and company here were taking this individual situation almost as a one-off that could be snuffed out. But Peter says, dudes, this is part of a much bigger picture, all pointing to Jesus. Let's actually um, jump back and look at the story of Peter, Peter's journey. What is his story really about? Because if we just look here, he seems like a really put-together guy with a really strong faith in Jesus, and nothing is going to get in the way of him preaching the good news. But when we first meet Peter in Matthew 4, he's just a fisherman, not very well educated, but he drops everything to follow Jesus, and they become great friends. And in chapter 16, Jesus tells Peter, whose name means rock, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's exciting stuff, isn't it? And uh, in chapter 26, Peter proclaims his loyalty to Jesus. But Jesus says to Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. To which Peter declares, even if I have to die for you, I will, not, I will never disown you. But sure enough, after Jesus is arrested, Peter denies him three times, and the rooster crows immediately, and Peter remembers what Jesus said, and weeps bitterly. If we stop the story there, it's, it's a real tragedy, a real breakdown of friendship, and Peter ends as a coward. Rock of the church? Mm, unlikely. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus is crucified, and on the third day, comes back to life, and on the third occasion, which he appears to the disciples, after the resurrection, he says to Peter and the other guys, Come and have breakfast with me. And Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? And Peter's like, Of course I do. And there is grace, and there is reconciliation. And Jesus doesn't say, Well, why did you deny me then, huh? Just gonna strip you of your Rock of the Church title. He doesn't say that. He says, Feed my sheep. Go and do the work you were called to do. Now, we see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit in this passage, declaring, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
So for all of his mistakes and blunders and how much he failed, God's calling on his life doesn't change. So it's important to look at the bigger picture. Speaking of pictures, take a look at this picture for me. If you think this person at the front is happy, can you give me a thumbs up? If you think they're unhappy, give me a thumbs down. What do we think? Okay, mostly, generally, we think he's happy. Cool, great. Take a look at this picture then for me. Is the person at the front happy? Same, thumbs up if you think he is, thumbs down if you think he isn't. A lot of, thumb, lot of thumbs up, a lot of thumbs up, cool. Okay, these pictures were used in a study with North Americans in the West and Japanese in the East. And the study found that those in the West generally focused on the central person regardless of the background. Happy or sad, it didn't change the conclusion. They said the person was happy in both pictures. Whereas it was found that people in the East were strongly influenced by the changes in the background with facial expressions. When people in the background were happy, the central figure was considered much happier. And when people in the background were angry or sad, they concluded that that person at the front couldn't be happy because of his surroundings. The situations or fields around the individuals have a much greater impact on that individual. It's almost a little bit more community-minded. So let's say, as we live in the West, that we do need to address what we need to do in order to counter this individualism. We have to be really deliberate in thinking about ourselves less and only our own needs. We need to walk in other people's shoes, encourage platforms, opportunities for those who don't have the same privilege as we do, think more about the collective instead of the me and only my happiness. Because actually, God hasn't called us to live happy lives, unlike this quote. If we buy into the lie that we have to live a happy and prosperous life as a follower of Jesus, then when things fall apart or when life kicks us in the teeth, we might believe that God has abandoned us. But friends, that's not what your story is about. Your story is one where God never abandoned you. Through it all, in the highs and in the lows, God is with us. We can see this really clearly in the book of Job. Everything he has is taken from him. And yet he continues to praise God through his suffering. And actually, in the end, God reminds him that it's not about him. It's not about Job. It's about God. What's his story really about? How great God is. We all have a story, but is it actually the one that we're telling? You might think my story's boring or my testimony's nothing special. Well, it's not boring because it's not just about you. It's a little puzzle piece in a much bigger and much more impressive picture. Our stories are important. They reflect Jesus. And we see that in Peter's story. And we can see it in one another's story as well. Sometimes even better than we can see it in our own. Last week, Debbie was sharing with me about a miracle in her life, and she said she'd be happy to share it today. So, um, Debbie, do you want to come up? Um, Debbie's been part of our family at Riverside for 15 years. You've probably been handed an outlook by her at some point. I'll give her a round of applause as she comes up. 
So thanks for doing this, Debbie. Um, you were talking about a miracle in your life. This you were telling me about last week where you saw God work. Um, can you just briefly give us the background on your situation at that time? I was looking after my father from when I was 19 to 29. I'd looked after him day and night, looked after all his cares, and by this time I was getting um, to the point where I got nothing left to give to my dad and, and my life. It was as if my dad's life come first as a carer and my life was second. And nothing, I had to fit in all my, my life, my shopping and my jobs around him. Um, and it was like, um, I'd got nothing left inside me. I was just empty on the inside. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't ever see when it would ever be any different. And, and just my dad was always there every day, however long it would be. Um, and I'd read my Bible every day. Um, and I found this verse in Psalm 17, verse 15. It says, every, this is the scripture union, paraphrase a little bit. Every day I'm satisfied with your presence. When I wake in righteousness, I'll behold your likeness. And I decided in my head, not, I couldn't, nothing left inside me, but decided, Lord, I said, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust you. You know what I feel like. You know how I'm, I'm meant to. You know everything. And I'm going to look to you and trust you that you will sort me out somehow and meet with me. And I don't know what happened, but within a day, I was different to the old Debbie. There was a new person inside. But it wasn't that my problems had changed. It's that I changed my understanding of everything that was happening. And out of that, there's a psalm, um, verse 4, verse Psalm 4, it says, you've put more joy in my heart than when they're having a good party. Mm -hmm. And I can literally say that as long as my dad was at home, it didn't matter anymore. I knew that God was there and that he was sorting me out and he was going to put things right. Later on in the October, August, my dad went to live at a little flat where there was carers. It's next door to the church where we go, where we went then. And I could come <coughs> home out of church and go and sort him out and go home. I could come after the shop with my job and go and sort him out there and do his jobs. My dad went to live at the flat. Then in the August, that was the August, about the Christmas time, um, I left my job in the shop and I went to care college and I did a care course, and I was living on my wages, on my savings. And while I was at Mosley Hall as a volunteer, they came to me and said that there's a job going at a new care company. It's just what you want to do. And I applied to the job, and I was with the company for 26 years, giving care and support to other carers and relatives. A girl from the church where I was at, she came to me one day, and she said, let's start a singles group for single Christians both looking for a single, for Christian husbands who love God and want to serve him. And out of that, we have a singles friendship. We're still going. We met last night for 33 years now, out of that. As part of my um, caring job, I needed to transport. So at the Ackers that were doing bike lessons, I learned to ride a Honda Melody bike, <laughs> all the gear, um, just to get me about from house to house. And I learned to drive. Um, and then my husband came along at the time to the friends group. Um, and uh, the change between being so low and empty and knotted up and tired and fed up. And I could never see how it was ever going to be any different. I could just see years and years ahead of me with my dad and all his problems. 
So it was almost a, a change of perspective yeah. on, on your own life, kind of. I had with, to change. Yeah, when and you were disappointed with what your story was, was so far. I was just looking at all the negative stuff. Yeah. And couldn't see that right. God was there. It's amazing, because actually, I mean, we know now that looking back, yeah. God had a much bigger plan for your story. Yeah. Um, so how is God still using you now? Then I you said a little bit about what you're still doing. I support carers in the community and work for families and do housework. Brilliant. So the, the experience that you had kind of early on yeah. has now added to I all turned, of that. I turned all the negative stuff about my dad and used it in a good way. Cool. Praise God. Um, let me pray for you, Debbie. Is okay. that all right? Father, thank you for Debbie. Thank you for how you are using her as a, as a part of a much bigger story. God, thank you for her role as a carer. Thank you for the sacrifice that she carries as she does this day in and day out. God, would you bless her and keep her safe as she does the work that you've called her to do. Thank you for the story that you've brought her on this far and how her story is going to continue. And you know all of that, God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Debbie. Give her a round of applause. It's really great to hear and witness real accounts of people within our church family of how God is, is working in people's lives and he is making all things new, including each one of us. God is weaving the tapestry of our lives and a lot of moments work together to get us to where we are now. It's really difficult to see our stories clearly when we are living them in the moment and it's often in hindsight looking back that things start to make sense. All of our stories are different. and Wherever we are at, God is working in us. God uses each person, even when they don't seem up for the job. So how is God using you? Peter finishes in the passage by saying, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. This is a reference back to the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 22, which they would have known. But Peter is saying, Jesus is this stone, this cornerstone. That's what it's all about. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And there it is. We can be saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. There's no other way around it. God is the author of life, the author of our story. Jesus made a bridge for us to have relationship with God once again. And the Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us this very moment. Some of us here might have reached a certain stage in life and we say, is that it? Is that all my story is going to be about? We might have bought the dream that we are going to be the one who changed the world well, don't despair. You don't have to be something that you're not. All you have to do is follow God's calling. I really love this quote from Mother Teresa. It's so helpful. If you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. Just do what you can. If you call yourself a believer this morning, don't belittle the small things in life, the glimpses of good you get the little building blocks, the smaller answers to prayer. They are all part 
of a bigger story. And if you are here this morning and you don't know God, and you place worth and meaning or dependence on things or only on yourself, the truth is that you will never be fulfilled. You will never be satisfied if you believe it's all about you. We heard it from the video with Stephen about the Alpha Course going deeper with questions about Jesus and faith. These are great opportunities to find out more about what your story is really about. Beyonce's latest album opened with a song called Bigger with these words, if you feel insignificant, you better think again. Better wake up because you're part of something way bigger. You're part of something way bigger. As I draw to a close, I want you all to take a moment and have a think. You might have already thought about this. Uh, You might have even written it, but have a think about what the title of your autobiography is. The story of your life. What is your story really about? Just take a minute to think about that. Maybe you want to write it down. In every situation, good and bad, where has God been present? Where is God working? How is God changing you? What is God teaching you? In our response, we're going to turn our attention to praising God because it's all about Him. What's the story of our lives really about? It's about God. It's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit working through us.